Welcome to Class Reunion, a podcast about high school 20 years later. I'm your host, Addie Broyles. Well, it's been 21 years since I graduated from Aurora High School in Southwest Missouri, and today is my hometown's first day of class. So in honor of the occasion, I am sharing a bonus episode featuring my conversation with a teacher and town champion who has dedicated their life to preserving and promoting Aurora. She was also my first boss. A special thanks to sponsors and online patrons, including Advanced Eye Care Kansas City, Aurora Professional Pharmacy, Bill Baker Insurance, Pettit Law Office, the classes of 1975 and 1972, Jeanette Christick, Candace Carla, Chris and Betsy Cook, and Sis Broyles. Because of your support, we were able to donate more than $600 to Missouri nonprofits, and I was able to pay myself for some of the time it took to make the show. This podcast has been a real labor of love, something my guest, Kim McCauley Mobley, knows a thing or two about. She is a teacher now at Aurora High School who has her spoons in many pots. In this conversation, you'll hear about how she's seen Aurora change over the years and what it's like teaching a new generation about reclaiming their past to improve their future. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm good too. Thank you so much for meeting with me. You're welcome. I'm out of breath. I just came from the parking lot. So I was going to ask, don't panic if I start breathing heavy or anything. Where are you calling from today? I am in my classroom at Aurora High School. And you have all kinds of fun things behind you, little plaques and certificates. And I do. It lets me know where I've been and maybe what I've been up to. I don't know. Oh, it's so good to see you. Okay. So we. Kim, you were my first boss. You Uh-oh. and Paul get to share that. Okay. Note. And I, I'm the nice one of the two, right? I mean, I think I use more of what you taught me than probably what he taught me. Okay, good. Good, 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 good. But we won't. But Paul taught me a lot too. And I think fondly about those days yes. developing film and putting out a paper. We yes. put out a paper three days a week. You had already been putting out a paper three days a week for a long time at that I had. point you were not teaching or you were you were teaching no. jury night classes I taught jury and Crowder at night I think then and um but yeah I had worked full-time for probably what year did you start 98 99 okay so I've been there 11 years that time yeah. and when I first went to work for the advertiser in the late 70s for my brother um we were still a daily and we even put out a little Saturday paper. So I did that for about three years too, back in the day. You taught me how to be a newspaper lady. I like it. So I, let's see, you, Michelle had been the student staff writer before me. And yes. then I came in and you had this desk. Uh, it, I think it was an old car dealership maybe because it was floor to ceiling glass windows through the whole office and it was by the main dragon town and you sat there at your computer and it felt like you ran the town kim (laughs) you knew everything that was happening i would like to think that i i think that was that's a little bit much but well i tried i tried really hard to keep up with everything that was going on in the town you did such a great job of it and you uh expanded your rolodex with a big heart and i saw you leading relay for life uh fundraisers and if there was some booster activity something that would help promote the town you were there 
you, what was it? The world's largest conga line you did. <laughs> yes. Jake and I won a trip to Hawaii with the, with the big conga line. That was fun. So it was really yeah. a pleasure to get to see you be in that town and be so active and just, you always had something up your sleeve that you were working on. And so I think I get a lot of that. I see. We covered a, a presidential visit together. Boy, didn't we? We did. So my dad was the mayor at the town of the town at the time. And he found out maybe a week ahead of time. And I just thought he was blowing steam. I mean, I, I thought there was no way he that was actually going to be happening, but uh, Bush came to give a presentation at the old mill, right? The mill. Mm -hmm. Something promoting agriculture. I can't remember what it was. So did you, did you agriculture and the, the importance of the heartland? I did. What did he say? I did. Um, I think nice to meet you. He was with, um, I believe John Ashcroft and a little entourage of Republicans. And, you know, my mom, was a diehard Democrat and had fallen and broken her neck and she was planning on coming. And so all of them had got together because I had told them that on the phone that I was going to have my, you know, diehard Democrat mom there and they better be nice to her. And um, so they sent her little get well cards that said what some people will do to get out of meeting a Republican. <laughs> they gave her a hard time. Um, but the, it was all in fun and, and she kept the cards and the little letters and plaques and that was, a, was kind that of, that was a special day. She didn't get to be with it. it was. So you have seen a lot uh, of special days in Aurora and that's why I wanted you to be on this show. You know, I've, we've been talking with my classmates all season about what it was like during that late nineties, early two thousands, what it felt like as a kid during that time. I want to right. talk to you about what it was like when you were a kid in Aurora and also what you remember about the late nineties and that turn of the century. <laughs> and then of course I want to hear about all the projects you've got going on right now. So that's my okay. plan for our bonus episode of class reunion. Okay. There you go. We'll see how far we can get. So yeah, you went to Aurora. You grew up there. I did. And did your mom also go to school there? No, um, my parents moved here in 1950 after World War II, they were both from Northwest Arkansas. And I believe when they, after the war, they met and married. My mom had been a school teacher and she had left Arkansas during the war to go work in the shipyards in California. And dad was from a nearby community. And I believe she taught school by day when the war ended. And then she worked in a little cafe at night. And so some soldiers came in and they were celebrating and she mentioned in her diary about this blue-eyed man that stole her heart and took her to a basketball game. And little did she know that was going to kind of set the tone for her life because she spent most of her life at ball games, um, kind of like your family. You guys know exactly what that's like growing up, going to everything. And so um, farming became a little tough after the war. So they moved here because they heard about a town that was booming and growing with some industries and business and manufacturing. Mom went to work for the juvenile shoe and they came here by train and dad ended up helping build the first Baptist church. And then I believe he worked briefly for a refrigeration company in Marionville and then landed a job at the MFA mill. And so um, they brought my little, my sister with them when they came here. And then my brother Randy and I were both born here and the plan was, I think they joked to get rich quick in Aurora and then move back to Arkansas and farm. Um, they never moved back. 
Um, I'm not sure about the rich part, but they became rich in faith, family, friends, and all kinds of good things. And we all became diehard hound dogs. So, mm-hmm. and we're still here. And the Estes family runs deep. Yes. Yes. I love that. So, um, remind, can I ask you what year you graduated? Yes, absolutely. 1979. Okay. So my mom had been out of school for a little while, but you remember my grandpa or at least, yeah. So was he a coach or was he the principal at the time? Oh my gosh. He was everything Addie. Um, there was a a period of time. He was a principal. There was a period of time. He was, um, involved with the special ed department. There was a period of time. I think he helped with maintenance and transportation. Um, I know he stepped in and coached on more than one occasion. Anytime Aurora had budget cuts or realigned position, Ed, Ed Cook wore about five hats. Um, he would just step in and do them all. And my guess is they probably didn't pay him for those five people he was um, doing the jobs of, but um, he, he was always there from morning to nighttime. And, you know, one of my favorite memories of him, when I came back as editor in 87, um, he would call the newspaper. We were downtown on Olive at that time. And he would call and insist that he didn't receive his fly swatter that day. We still had newspaper carriers, little boys that had routes Mm -hmm. and would throw the paper. And so we would man the phones at night. And if people didn't get their paper, we would go deliver it. And so he loved for me to answer the phone because if I answered the phone in his gruffest voice, it's, I didn't get my fly swatter today. And I would say, oh my gosh, it's not a fly swatter. You're supposed to read it. And he would just push my buttons. And then um, when he got sick and I went to visit him a couple of times um, and he would share stories and things from the past, I would go, I went back to work one day and there was a bouquet of roses on my desk. And it said, thanks for the visit, Ed. And I'm looking at it. And in amongst the roses, they had placed all these little plastic fly swatters. Um, So, you know, he was still poking my buttons, doing something nice. But um, I finally settled down and I let him call it whatever he wanted to call it. But we we had a nice friendship. He was a good mentor, knew lots of Aurora history and um, loved being a hound dog, um, loved everything Aurora. So I, uh, I try hard to, you know, pay homage to him when I'm telling his story and sharing the stories of others. I got a picture of him hanging in my closet right here. I it's like from it. When he was playing with the bears in, uh, 48 yeah. to 49. So it was right at that. We've got a, an MSU blanket that I believe they gave him when he played and we've got some other Did my things mom donate that, that to the yeah. alumni center? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I've, I've got it in the armory. As you can tell listeners, Kim is a keeper of memories and also memorabilia and actual treasures. So will you explain what the alumni and outreach center is? Well, <clears throat> I've had to explain it a couple times this week already to newcomers in 2012. We chartered the Youth Empowerment Project here at Aurora High School under the encouragement of our um, principal at the time, Dan Decker, who would become our superintendent because it was a a community partnership promoting leadership with students that partnered with the Community Foundation of the Ozarks. And he thought it fit well with what we tried to do with student council. 
So we chartered in 2012 and we hit the ground running. Well, part of the youth, youth empowerment um, anchor is being community partners, showing that intergenerational connection between you, your parents, your grandparents, you know, that legacy piece, and then paying it forward. So philanthropy. So we would raise money and then we would set up little grants for dual credit scholarships, classroom supplies for teachers that might not be covered in the regular budget. And then maybe kids of Christmas, Main Street, Chamber of Commerce, if they were passing out coloring books with Santa at Christmas, we'd step in and, and kind of fill the gap. Well, around 2015-2016, when the school administration bought the old Aurora Bank downtown and announced plans to renovate it and house central offices there, I began to email Travis Shaw, who was our superintendent at that time. Um, I guess I emailed him a lot. It didn't seem like a lot at the time, but I would wake up every day thinking, oh, I hope they don't do anything crazy with the armory because I, wanna, I want it as a museum. I want it interactive. I want to have classrooms there. I want to try to gather up all the trophies, the hound dog memorabilia, all the history from our town, because it seems like every time we have a construction project or we build a new school or we add something to some place, a lot of things get moved and packed up and shoved around. And sometimes they're broken, damaged, waterlogged, whatever. And those, those things, tell our story. And so we didn't want them to get gone. We wanted to sort of rescue them. So I began to email him and say, let me put together a plan. I'm really busy. Got this, this, this and going on. Um, my husband had had a stroke and was re still recovering. And we had some other things that I was dealing with. And um, one day I looked up while I was teaching and in the corner of my room stood Dr. Shaw. Well, that's never good when your principal or your superintendent drives across town and shows up in your classroom, <laughs> that's never a good thing ever. So I felt my throat kind of close off and my face turn red. Cause I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. What have I done? And um, he kind of motioned for me to come to the door. So I walked over there and um, I might be exaggerating just a little bit, but my memory is pretty much where he said, Mrs. Mobley, quit the emails, quit emailing me. I, you've, you know, filled my box. He goes, there's no need to email me so many times a day. I'm going to not do anything with the armory until I talk to you. Nobody in this town wants it except you, um, which I don't think is true. Cause I think there's a lot of people out there that have fond memories of the armory, but he, he basically told me to quit um, pandering my propaganda at him every day that he was going to hold tight till we figured out a plan. So we did write a couple of grants, we did put a plan in place, and we formed the Aurora Hound Dog Alumni and Outreach Center, and we created a board. And that adult board is sort of the adult version of my youth empowerment. So I have YEP here at the high school with kids in the, the leadership program, and then I have the adults in the community, and some of the members of the board include um, Jack Minch from First Independent Bank, Scott Pettit from Pettit and Pettit Law Firm, um, Bob Jernigan from Jernigan True Value, of course, Die Hard Hound Dogs, all of them, and Michelle Parbury, Michelle Maurice, Shannon Walker, just a lot of people who wear a lot of community hats, but have a vested interest in preserving our story and 
sort of creating that mentorship piece with students mm -hmm. to show the passing of different legacies. Um, and it's it's been really successful. We also write grants and pay it forward and have work days. Um, COVID has made that look a little bit different, but we've still managed to pull some projects off outside. We've built a pavilion um, at the armory on the corner. Um, we've added some uh, memorial benches and one of them is in memory of your dad and, and my brother and Dave Stevens. And I can only imagine all the stories that, that are going on on that corner. Um, we've finished the mural this spring and we've got plans to do another mural. So it's, a, it's an active group, a little bit under the radar type group, but the whole idea is to partner with other organizations, take the lead when we need to take the lead, um, follow when we need to follow, but we, we just promote all things Aurora. I love that. Oh, hope I answered your Absolutely. question. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, this, this whole project has been, I think, an expression of my love for Aurora and, you know, I'm going to be okay. back at the end of the month hopefully seeing you and a whole bunch yeah. of people at the reunions. Um, I think it's so cool. Yeah. The all school reunion, the idea of getting everybody together, um, regardless of what year you graduated, because, you know, in a small town, you do know other people from other classes. And right. especially if you live there and you continue to interact with them over time, that leads to the story just keeps getting written. I know. Yeah. I've been having fun. Right. Where it, it feels like we're, my classmates and I are starting to rewrite. We're picking back up where we left off. I like that. Um, okay. So you have seen Aurora through the decades. I think you graduated from high school. Huh. You, you were having your 20th high school reunion right around the time I was in high school. Yes. Do you think, do you yes. think that more is different now than it was then 20 years before? You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that are different because we didn't have the technology that today's kids have. And I, I do find, um, I had a really neat experience in the spring, um, of course, I was missing an action for a couple of months because my husband and I had been sick with COVID and we'd been in the hospital taking turns with that and then kind of recovering at home. So when I came back to school part time and then eventually full time before the year ended, um, I got back with my leadership class. And one of the kids said, Miss um, Mobley, I wish we could see Aurora through your eyes. You talk about all these places and all these people and all these stories, and it's it's a little bit removed from us um, in terms of like when I talk about driving the loop or hanging out at the park, you know, or doing different things. And um, one fixture that always stays the same, you know, is kind of Pete Young. Pete Young's been showing up at things for a decade, and everybody kind of knows who he is. Um, but a lot of the names become legendary, but they don't always have a face or a connection or know exactly, you know, where that person stood or where they came from. So I sort of chuckled when they, when the person, the student said it. And then, um, and it was Cameron Savage, one of my leadership students, who's a senior this year. And, and then I went home and I got to thinking about it because I had asked a student to mail something for me at the post office. And they said, sure, but where's the oh. post office? And so I was a little taken aback and I said, well, downtown across from the depot. Well, is that by the railroad tracks? Yes. Wow. And I joked, you know, let me introduce you to your town. I'm going to rent a bus and we're not going to go to Branson or Eureka Springs or St. Louis or Kansas City. I'm going to introduce you to your hometown. 
Um, and so I, that experience plus Cameron's suggestion, I went home and I put this little map together of kind of a, a driving trail. I've walked it before with students years ago, but I, I wasn't very adept at walking in the spring yet. And so we drove it, but I took them to lunch. I took them to the parks to see the storm damage because we'd had a huge flood and storm the day before. They got to walk around and see the city, um, the city workers surveying the damage and kind of knowing what the estimates were gonna be to that. We went to the city hall, city manager, John Holmes, pulled up some maps, showed them some developments, some proposals that the city council was dealing with, talked about some construction and, you know, 60 plus million dollars in projects. And, you know, I saw their eyes really change that day because they realized there's some good things going on here and we've got lots of momentum, probably more momentum than we've had maybe in 30 years, I would say, in terms of business and economic progress and quality of life. So we went around town to some landmarks. They visited with Shannon Walker at the depot, and she talked to them about um, some of the historical items in the museum. She talked about the chamber, the fact they have over 300 members. Again, I saw the little lights go on um, with the students because, you know, where they drive, um, to and from school on a day-to-day -day basis, they don't see 300 businesses. Mm -hmm. They don't realize that a lot of people work from home, that a lot of people have businesses in the rural outskirts, you know, that are in the district, but maybe not in the city limits. They don't realize that we've got Marionville businesses that belong to the Aurora Chamber of Commerce that still make up part of our community. But, you know, the whole idea of, of change, when you ask me, you know, about the decades, um, the landmarks might change a little bit. Um, some of the landmarks are going to stay the same, like the parks, like the mill. You know, those silos are going to greet us coming and going for decades to come, even though they're no longer owned by MFA. Now they're being used as an aquaponics operation, I think, a, a silo farms guy out of Springfield. I think they're growing mushrooms, and I'm not sure what all in there, and that's kind of hard to wrap your head around, but they're still there. It's um, being repurposed. We're gonna, yeah. And, you know, there's just a lot, a lot of difference. There's you know, some of the schools have changed names or are no longer there. And some of the houses on the main corridors are, are being torn down if the buildings are in uh, bad shape and disrepair, but then a lot of things are being fixed up and renovated and sort of renamed and rebranded too. So it's, it's, different. And sometimes I talk about things or I'll mention a place and I'll see this little puzzled look on their faces. If I mention the Dairy Queen um, and that that was my first job and they look at me like, well, where was that? And I say, oh, it's where the, you know, Las Palmas, where the Mexican restaurant is. Um, if I talk about um, the golf course, of course, that's going to stay the same, except when I say, well, you know, they built that second nine 30 years ago when I was in school and learning to golf. Um, we only had nine holes and they look at you kind of funny, like, well, that seems tiny. So their frame of reference is extremely different, but you know, everybody still goes to Table Rock Lake. Everybody still goes to Branson. We're still, still an hour from Joplin and Springfield and, you know, almost anything fun that somebody wants mm -hmm. to do. Um, and you've been talking about so, some newcomers coming. I'm sure the Amazon yes. facility in Republic is going to bring some new residents. I love hearing that history. It's like, how do we build a new future 
in part is by getting people invested in the history of the place where they're at so that they can make the history that in 20 years people will look back on. Exactly. And, you know, I just, I think there's a lot of cool things going on here. And I do think the face of business and industry has changed and, um, the glory days of the assembly line in a factory or a great big, huge department store. I think we're transitioning slowly to a more personalized form of business and industry where it it almost becomes like little hubs and pods and units um, that sort of all fit together and, and promote each other. You know, the more restaurants we have in town, the better quality all of those restaurants are going to be. And, I don't think anybody's going to left out, be left out of the loop. A collaboration over competition. Yeah. yeah. And the collective energy that it'll bring. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, is it Las Palmas? Yeah. So, um, listen, the Mexican restaurant on the corner by my mom's house, also a favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yes, that's good too. I think she makes better salsa than... Gas station Mexican, but I know it's called something else, but yes, it's good. It's be- It's the best salsa I've ever had. And I live in Texas. I mean, yeah. um, so I wanted to ask you, you know, about diversity in the city, you know, in the late nineties, when I was living there, uh, I think that the chicken factory opened up in Monette and maybe that was kind of when we had the first wave of Spanish speaking immigrant working class come to Aurora. I think Tyson's has been in Monette a long time, but I think it expanded okay. and it ro- definitely rolled out the welcome mat um, to people of all cultures and climates to come and that they would help them. And then I know um, the expansion of different satellite programs with Drury and Crowder and Missouri State kind of rolled out the welcome mat to Southwest Missouri too. A lot of times they end up um, wanting to come because of migrant work or farming work or work in the agricultural community. And we're kind of ripe for that here with the four seasons and, and the different things that we've had in progress in the past. But I also think there's been a shift in celebrating the diversity and the heritage of, of all aspects of life and people coming together. And, you know, I've, I've found that even in my classroom, I don't know what Aurora's demographics are, but I, I know they've changed drastically the last 20 years. Um, but I, I still don't think if somebody said, hey, I need a Hispanic student um, to serve on such and such committee because I want to make sure I've got diversity, I have to stop and think or look at my roster to look at the mm-hmm. names because I guess I get so busy in the school day. I don't I don't see color. Mm-hmm. I'm not I don't think of students in, in that terms. And so I guess that's a success. Um, and I'm hoping that Aurora with its colorful and creative heritage and as many times as we've kind of had to reinvent ourselves it seems like we're willing and able to celebrate all all cultures and I like yeah, that. I think so too I mean just um like from that economic perspective right of having yeah. all kinds of different businesses that you can support and I think that you probably see in your classroom students enjoying this diversity, you know, where you can have people who have different experiences and have these lively conversations about what's going on in the world and, and what these kids want to do with their lives, you know, what they see for themselves. Yeah. We had an interesting conversation in a class today where a student asked me, they were having a conversation with each other. Um, and it was, it was two different students of color and, um, 
one thought that in order to be racist, you had to not like the other group. And the, the one boy stopped and kind of took a time out and said, Miss Mobley, weigh in on this. And I thought, oh, I don't know that I really want to get in on this. I don't want to say the wrong thing. And I said, I think people who grow up with certain stereotypes and habits and, and morals and ethics, you know, in their family units inadvertently become racist because of those stereotypes that they've never questioned. I said, I think some really good people do racist things and make racist comments and, and are hurtful and, and, and go along with some of those labels. I said, I don't think you have to dislike someone to, to be racist. I said, the, the key is calling us all on the carpet when we go down that road, not ignoring it, not sweeping it under the rug, um, saying, hey, did you hear what you just mm -hmm. said? Is there a better way to say that? Or did you really mean it this way? Can we have some dialogue about that? Um, and it seemed like when I looked up, like the conversation started with just two kids. And it seemed like when I looked up, everybody had stopped what they were doing and they all wanted to talk about it. Um, so we kind of took a little time out and talked about it because I said, you know, I've had people talk about women in a disparaging voice. And it feels like I've always been, you know, shaking that glass ceiling a little bit with some of the roles and hats that I've worn. Um, are those people that have said some of those hurtful things, my friends? Yeah, they are. Um, but I do the friendship a disservice if I, if I let it lie, you know, maybe I don't call them out in public. Maybe I shoot them an email or a phone call or a text, but you know, I, I just think our language, our attitude, our behavior, all of those things are baby steps that I think it all has to change. And I, I feel it shifting and changing here. And I, I felt really good that those two students felt comfortable calling a timeout and, and asking me what I thought. And I just, I just wanted to make sure I said all the right things. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I want them to know that I'm not perfect and that I can be better too. And that I'm open to their suggestions and their ideas. Um, I'm all about tradition and the traditional hound dog and, you know, I love dances. And when they started wanting movie nights instead of dances, I, I might've cried for a day or two um, because I, I like those, those traditions, but I also want to support them. And especially with the craziness we've had the last year and a half or so, I want kids to be able to have the best year they can have. I want them to be able to look back on their high school years. Like we look back on our high school years and you and your classmates and know that those were some of the best times of their life. Um, Cause once you start adulting, you adult forever. There's usually no going back, <laughs> no take backs. And so, um, you know, I, I want them to be able to celebrate who they are and what they want to do and give them those things. And um, so I'm open. I still, you know, want to hold fast to some deal breaker traditional thing, but we, we have some, but we don't always have them with homecoming anymore. I let them choose. Um, I let them decide if they want a movie night, if they want a game night, if they want food. Um, I, I let them decide what that, what that looks like. So every once in a while, we'll have a dance. Every once in a while, we have, have a movie. Last year, we ended up um, having a movie night at the Armory, and it was a zombie movie. So it was really kind of fun. Um, 
not sure I like zombies at the armory because I'm pretty sure your dad plays tricks or your grandpa plays tricks on me when I'm there all the time anyway. But um, I remember the band carnival being pretty spooky in that armory. It is spooky over there. I don't work over there at night a lot anymore without someone with me because like the doors will shut, the lights go off and on. The ghosts um, of Aurora so past. Coming to I check know, in right? on you and make sure you're still doing what you said you were going to do. Exactly. They help keep you accountable. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Tell me, can you give me a, can you give me a flyby of what you associate each of the decades with? Founded in 1870 by Stephen Elliott and he was a union officer in the civil war. Um, part of his pension and part of his pay was some land and some money. He cordoned part of it off for him and his family. And then he set aside enough to build a community. And there were several pioneer families that kind of joined in with him, the Rinkers, the McNats, and different people that that began to plot and plan. And, and of course, Drew McNatt um, at Hogtide Barbecue, one of the favorite places to eat here in Aurora. People come from all over. Um, third, fourth generation barbecue master because his parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents used to do it in the streets of Aurora at every celebration, you know, back in the day. Agriculture has always been big here. Um, and I'm trying to think what else there was. There- well, so then there was the printing. I do want to mention, yes. I, I haven't gotten into the menace with anybody, uh-huh. but the printing industry in Aurora was a, was still around whenever I was there. Yeah. I can remember things from Springfield would come down to Aurora to be printed. Huge, and huge my- postcard industry, calendars, church bulletins, um, tourist brochures. So I, but I didn't learn, I mean, maybe we had talked about this whenever I was at the newspaper, but I didn't really learn about the menace until later that there was an anti-Catholic paper that was based in Aurora. Anti-Catholic, anti-woman, anti-child, all of it, everything. Yes. And it it became huge for like a decade. Yes. Wasn't it? And over a million subscribers, they would literally fill a train every day with the things they printed. And ironically, most of the employees were women and kids. Um, Apparently they weren't reading the stuff. That they were loading. There were cookbooks, there were coloring books, there were postcards, there were newspapers. Um, not a lot of local subscribers, but they did pour a lot of money into the economy. And of course, back then people just looked the other way. Um, I well, and then it expanded the railroad, which did. was great for business because then, do you know when the mill went up? The um, grain silos? The silos have been put up in segments. The original mill was the Majestic Milling Company, and it was a flour mill in the early 1900s. And then there was a fire there, I believe, in the 30s, um, and it transitioned into a feed mill, and they began to add add the silos. Um, Okay, so then wartime, I'm sure tough times for every community. Um, And then, well, then the fifties, that's when my grandma moved there. I'm trying to think uh-huh. of what, probably the, the shoe factory was cranking by that time. A lot of the stuff been. that then led it to It would have 60s. been, and a lot of new construction, a lot of homes were going up, city limits were expanding. Um, well, you know, the sixties um, was kind of the, the heyday of our manufacturing. We had thousands of people working here. Um 24 seven, probably six days a week. Of course, everything then shut down on Sundays. A lot of stores and restaurants weren't even open on Sundays and we had blue laws. So you couldn't get alcohol or anything like that then. Um, but the shoe factory, um, would run at least two, two shifts 
and and had different hubs. You had number one and number two. And I think there was a shoe factory in Sercoxy and one in Carthage. And so just a huge community of people that knew the shoe industry here. We had a garment factory downtown. Um, there was the um, Creamery, MWM Dexter, again, um, often had two shifts of people. The mill often had three shifts of people um, working six days a week. Um, of course, lots of feed coming in and out of here and lots of trucks. Um, there was, a, of course, the shoe factory, the old shoe factory, original shoe factory was downtown um, across from where the depot is. Trains were in and out of here morning, noon, and night. Tell me a little bit about the 70s. 70s things transition a little bit. Still a big hub for manufacturing. Um, the newspaper's still alive and well. MWM, MFA, Juvenile Shoe. Garment Factory begins to slow down a little bit by the 70s and, and 80s, but it's still here. Some of the, the storefronts and restaurants in Aurora um, began to struggle a little bit in the 70s and 80s, and they had to be really creative with their hours when they were open. A lot of them ended up being a lot of family operations. So I'm sure people worked long, hard hours, probably without paying everybody in a family that worked to keep the doors open. Um, mm -hmm. By the 80s, the shoe industry is changing. By the end of the 80s and early 90s, um, juvenile shoe is um, shut down and sort of transitioned into the TT group, which is a Canadian based company. Um, a lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people were laid off. But you did have, we did have little tykes manufacturing that came and kind of filled the gap and hired a lot of those people. And they were here. Um, the mill began to slow down and transition a little bit and not have as many people hired and as many shifts going. Um, when did Walmart first open? I think Walmart was here. Well, Walmart and consumers were here by the late seventies, early eighties. Cause I can remember. They were, they shared that parking lot there mm -hmm. at the end of Elliot. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cause then I remember the, the Walmart. So when we moved there in the early nineties, Walmart had just moved Caddy corner right. to the footprint where it is right. now. Right. Yeah. And consumers was still open. I remember yes. going to that grocery store. Yes. Um, and the skating rink was also skating booming rink, in the nineties. The princess theater, the drive-in, the sunset drive-in. Um, of course, oh. the drive-in's still open. The Princess Theater is now engaged church. Um, but um, the skating rink, I think, is a place that makes tables or cabinets. I know they manufacture. So was the skating rink, do you know when the skating rink opened? I believe, um, here's a funny story. I interviewed a World War II soldier when I was in New York on a grant working. And he um, was a World War II soldier, had been stationed at Crowder, heard my accent or what he thought was an accent and wanted to know where I was from. I'd gone down to get tickets for something. And um, so we we started visiting and he told me that he remembered coming to Aurora by train during the war. He had accidentally shot himself in the foot and didn't get um, to leave with his group um, that went to Europe. So he had to stay behind because he was injured, but they could. Um, he says there was like a, a bordello um, somewhere in the vicinity of the Tofts building and that it was like women who who provided escort services for men who wanted to go to the movies or go dancing or go out to eat or whatever. Um, I was a little shocked and like, you know, I had never heard those stories when he first told them to me. Um, but he said, 
all of the the men at Crowder would sign out to go skating because you could skate in Aurora and that was healthy and recreational and fun. And in the summertime, you could come here and swim and swimming was equally good. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, they couldn't put down that they were going to look for escorts or whatever. (laughs) That wasn't that's a saucy story. That wasn't good for soldiers. So um, he talked about all the that if everybody had indeed gone skating, um, they would have had to expand the skating rink to the size of a football field. And I had to laugh because if it took a train to bring them all over here to skate, um, you know, somebody somewhere knew they weren't skating. But um, so I know the skating rink was here in the 40s. And my guess it was probably here in the 30s. My jaw has totally dropped I know. Um, because it was really old school when we were going, but I didn't know it was that old. Yeah, school. I think it's pretty old. I think it's been around a long, you- long time. There's a so, reason um, that floor wasn't level. And the ceiling was so low. It's yeah. like the broken spoke here in Austin. It's like one of the most famous honky tonks. You can barely walk in that place. The ceiling is so low mm-hmm. and the floor is so unstable. Clarify something for me really quickly. So sure. people would come over from Neosho, from Crowder College in Neosho and um, be on the Camp train. Crowder. Oh, Camp Crowder. I don't I'm think sorry. I know about Camp Crowder. Camp uh, Crowder College is on the site of where Camp Crowder was. And Camp Crowder was a training facility for soldiers in the oh, Midwest. Okay. So a lot of the soldiers in this area for training had to come, like some went to Fort Leonard Wood or wherever, but a lot of them came to Camp, camp Crowder, Maybe the other direction towards the boot heel, but. Oh, I forgot about that. From here, yeah. oh, oh, I love it. Thanks for catching me up on some of these historical things. Um, is there anything you want to tell me about Aurora that I haven't asked you? I mean, I know this is your, you could go on for, you could have a two week conference about Aurora and I would yeah. attend. We are going to honor uh, the next set of Hall of, Hall of Famers um, the weekend of the All School Reunion. Of course, a couple years ago, uh, we honored your grandpa, Ed Cook, Ken Ackley, Poss Jackson, and Fred Baum as our initial Hall of Fame inductees. And we also honored um, the football team from 1969 um, that were the state champions that year in football. We honored them couple years ago um, as the next round of Hall of Famers. So the third round will be uh, Jack Ware, Snags Lechner, and Gene Kirkham. And we're pretty excited about that. Oh my gosh. All of those names just ring in my ears. I can hear my mom saying them right now. Was her band director? Yes. Or- Gene Kirkham is the band director. Yeah. Forever. And, the- and Jack Ware just lived down the street. Yeah. And he Coach Little League, Mighty Mites, you name it. Jack Ware stepped up and did it. And Snags Lechner, Community Service Award recipient, active in the National Guards, pretty much lived at the Armory and helped um, take care of that and train soldiers. Of course, a wonderful athlete from Verona, won all kinds of awards. I think almost played professional baseball, probably did play um, some semi-pro baseball, he and and some of his Lechner relatives back in the day. So it is way past time for us to honor these gentlemen. And we're excited to be able to do it. I can't wait. I'll be there cheering people on. Okay. Now this is really my last question. I think that my interest in Aurora history was greatly influenced by the fact that every day in high school, I would walk by and see the photos of the past students who had been at Aurora. Uh Are those still hanging in the high school? They are. They hang in the cafeteria. Um, they don't hang on the walls anymore. We've got kind of a little flip chart thing that they hang on, um, but you can still see them. Um, some of the older ones are at the armory, but 
oh, from the 1950s through the present are still hanging in the cafeteria here in the commons. So every graduating class then gets to hang on the wall and yes. watch for watch the future generations yes. do what they're going to do. Watch That's over so us, you bet. Well, thank you so much for your time and all of your stewardship. Um, you're welcome. It's been fun. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Okay. I love you. Love you too. Hey, Bye, Kim. Sweetheart. Thanks for being on the show, Kim, and for all you do for Aurora. I'm happy to report that I got to see Kim twice over the past year, first at the all-school reunion we talked about in this show, and again in June when my mom's class gathered for their 50th reunion. I went with my mom and met so many people I'd heard about over the years. You won't be surprised to know that I had more fun than I even imagined. Kim has rebooted her own podcast about Aurora called All Roads Lead Home, which you can find wherever you get your favorite shows. I have one more bonus conversation to share later this week, and after that, this show will be on break until the next reunion. I've heard from several folks who want to do class reunion projects like this, and if you're one of them or you want to find out more about the show, find me on Instagram at Class Reunion Podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>